For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're tuned in to Grip It and Rip It, sponsored by LB's Meat Market. We're going to get started here in a second, but first, let's hear from LB's. Grip It and Rip It with Brian Scott Rippey is brought to you by LB's Meat Market. LB's, the preeminent butcher shop in Oxford, Mississippi. The place to go for any and all of your meat needs. Just right now, they've got the Lane Train Special, a six-ounce bacon-wrapped filet for $10. they got fresh seafood, grill packs, and a lot of different types of sausages. Put simply, if your grill is in need of meat, the only place to go in Oxford, Mississippi is LB's Meat Market. Give them a call today at 662-259-2999. That's 662-259-2999. Stop by and see them at 2008 University Avenue. That's just across the street from Kroger. It's LB's Meat Market, your butcher shop in Oxford, Mississippi. This is another edition of Grip It and Rip It. I am Brian Scott Rippy. Across from me, or I say across from me virtually, is Colin Brister. Little change of schedule this week. Uh, Ben's podcast right on Tuesday. We are recording on a Tuesday night, but obviously this is dropping Wednesday. Happy Wednesday to everyone out there. Thanksgiving Eve, whatever it is you're doing, traveling. I hope you're doing something more fun than that. Maybe drinking a cold one. I don't know. But a uh, little schedule change this week. Uh, with Ben did a preview last week with my former colleague, Brian Haydad. So no Egg Bowl preview for me this week. Uh, I have Colin on. We're going to be podcasting twice this week to talk shop. We've got some Egg Bowl over-unders that I have created, not anywhere pertaining to Vegas. We can probably go through some of those too if you want to. But uh, talk some shop, talk some Egg Bowl, talk college football as a whole. What's up, man? Not much, not much. Uh, are you are you coming back to uh, Mississippi for Thanksgiving or are you stuck out there? No, no, I am. Uh, I'm coming back. I might. I didn't plan out my work schedule very good. The company I work for now is doing like a hybrid thing where like half of our department is in the office some mm-hmm. days, perhaps the other some like a hybrid at home, hybrid right. in the office. And my day to be at the office was tomorrow, which I should have just requested off. But long story short, I'm coming to work on Wednesday. So Oof. I'm having late, but I'll get the full weekend. It's the first time I've been back since I moved out here. Hey, there you go. Well, did you not go home? Didn't you play a golf tournament or something a little bit ago? Right. So I have been in the state of Mississippi. Uh, I flew from DFW to the coast, uh, Arkansas weekend, the uh, also known as the six interception weekend, um, to to go back with some friends on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, which to be honest, and this is not a bad thing at all, it's almost a different world than the rest of the state. (laughs) It's just a whole different landscape, different topography. I'm not a. whatever the hell this uh, term is for someone that studies such things, but it did not feel like I was back in Mississippi. I'll put it that way. Okay. That's fair enough. Fair enough. So, uh, but no, it, uh, 
it, it feels weird with the egg bowl being not on Thanksgiving, right? Cause what the last three years it's been on Thanksgiving. So when Thursday rolls around the games there and now you have to wait till Saturday. Yeah. I actually, earlier this week, that's funny. You mentioned that my bosses were at work, were talking to me about like, you know, just, Hey, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? And I was telling them I was going home and I was like, you know, this is the first Thanksgiving I haven't had to work in four years. And they kind of looked at me sideways and I was like, well, there's this clown show that occurs every Thanksgiving night for the last half decade, also known as a football game, also known as the Egg Bowl, that I've had to work. And then it kind of made sense to him. Um, one guy referenced the dog peeing incident immediately. So, if, like, if you need, like, a sample size or any sort of confirmation that the Egg Bowl being on Thanksgiving in the most heated portion of this robbery ever not being a great thing for both schools' PR departments, um, some random guy from Dallas knows both schools is that. <laughs> All right, let's ask this. Let's start here. Is this the first year since 2016 we just have a normal football game? Yes, I okay. think so. I, uh, and that's, that's one of the topics I wanted to get into today. I kind of was rambling all around in the teaser. But in addition to the over-unders, we were going to get into one. Lane Kiffin's SEC Coach of the Year case and a funny story about a Lane Kiffin tweet and a deleted podcast <laughs> since Monday that we can get into in just a second. But I did another podcast for someone last night just doing a hit on someone else's. And I kind of I think this is a fine place to start. Let's just go ahead and do it. I, I, I mentioned it was a it was a LSU guys podcast and he's having on like all the rival like rivalry games. Like he had a state guy on with me last night right. on the pod. And I was explaining how I think this is, one, obviously good for the robbery, but two, like, this this game is always going to be intense. Like, there's no underselling that. Sure. But this is going to be a much better energy, I think, uh, than you've had in the last four or five meetings or so. And I obviously, I think that's a good thing. I think that's because Leach and Kiffin behave like adults. I think they're both friends. Now, that's not completely fair because Moorhead and Luke just kind of – sure inherited the boiled over hatred from Moen and freeze acting like Kiffin, but there's enough uh, acting like children. I should say not like Kiffin there's, but now there's enough degrees of separation. I think, yes, we're going to see a normal game, intense game, but good energy. Yeah, no, it, it's funny. Um, you know, I thought 2018 until the massive brawl was kind of okay. Um, but 2017 was 2017, I think is the biggest circus of the three, right? Like, yes, Elijah Moore doing the dog pee was, was ridiculous and whatever. Um, but from just like a total clown car perspective, isn't it 2017? I know you have the big brawl in 18, but it, there was, there were fights before the game in 2017. You have, you know, DK, uh, doing the dog pee in the end zone. You have AJ talking crap to their student section after a touch. Like, I just feel like looking back on those three years, that was the biggest clown car game of the three. So, the, but so I don't necessarily disagree. And this is an interesting debate to get into, but I would argue the second tier of the debate, the other side to argue is 19, not 18, in my opinion, okay. because I okay. just think you, you kind of forget just what an absolute clown show is. And I would, I'll say that to say this, I do agree. First I'll preface it with this. I do agree that it was probably 17 because in addition to all the other things you just outlined, there was a very, very weird feeling in the air that night. It well, was incredibly tense as soon as you got in the building. State sold out the game, which I, that's not like a knock on anything or anybody. They had a lot of people there. Like the team was pretty good. Ole Miss was, I mean, in, in a, as close to rock bottom as you could get from a program turmoil standpoint. And just between that, the pregame stuff – 
AJ Brown's last egg bowl and him kind of caught firing up the troops before as the student section screaming at him. Like that whole night was so bizarre from an atmosphere standpoint. <laughs> and you, and you, that's in the height of the NCAA thing and your the snitches get stitches. And yeah, I mean, it was, it was tough. I was, I was in the old miss section that night. It was, that was the most hostile environment I have ever been in. Um, it, it was tough. Um, and, and they were getting, I was sitting behind Ole Miss's sideline. They were, they were getting after AJ pretty good that night. And I don't know, man, it just, that whole night just felt, and, and I think honestly, the only other time I felt just a stadium filled with hatred was, uh, 2014 when state came to Oxford and Ole Miss beat them and let them made sure they didn't go to the playoffs. Um, and then 17 and start, well, like I was, I was in Starkville in 2015 when Ole Miss won and it didn't feel like that for whatever reason, that stadium that night just felt extremely, extremely hostile. And, and 14 was the biggest egg bowl ever. So, I mean, it's Vern and Gary, and it had real implications. You know, State's got a puncher's chance and probably a better sure. one puncher's chance at the college football playoff if they win that game. So that actually meant something to where, to your point, in 2017, it was no one was really playing for anything. Mullen was, you know, fielding calls at other schools, had his foot out the door, but it was just one last like backroom brawl or whatever you want to call it. And to your point, it was a very hostile environment. And I don't mean this as like a knock towards like state and their atmosphere, because when state does sell out games, they have a pretty cool atmosphere. Whatever, whatever you think of the cowbells, but the, th- the fourth quarter don't stop believing all that's cool. But I, I, it wasn't a good type of hostile that night. No. It, it was very weird, weird, uncomfortable type of hostile. What was it like last year? I, was, I didn't go last year. It didn't seem like just from watching it on TV, it resembled anything from 2017 and really 2013. Okay, so maybe we're framing this argument the wrong way because in terms of the actual clown show, I'm actually switching my answer mid-argument. If you're talking about a clown show, I would say 2019 – if you're talking about just pure like hatred breeding immaturity, it's 17. Whereas but, in 19, you have that you ask what the pregame was like in 19, it was dead. There weren't that many in the stadium there early. There's all these rumors of people. You, I've never been in a football game where everyone is talking about the same thing on the field pregame, and it's about whether or not Moorhead was canned or not. And there's these rumors going around that he like cried or teared up before the game. Like it felt like it was over at that point for him. You can argue whether or not. And then tying in everything else that happened in the game, that was the pure clown show because both schools looked dumb. It, it got out that day that they had fired him. Like that, that was a rumor permeating around people that, that knew things um, that he would not be back the year or for the next year. And then he goes and wins the game and just goes berserk in his post-game press conference. And, and I mean, we all know what happened after that. Um, but <laughs> the 19th, literally, I am, it's 6.30 and this game's kicking off at 7.15 and you're reading like reports and stuff from like what seemed like credible people that Joe Moorhead was not returning and this game hasn't even kicked off yet. It, it, was, fl- it was about as close as you can flirt from between – like the the fence is credible, the other side of the fence is real, and the other side is just message board BS, and it right. straddled that thing about as close as you could possibly right. get. Because it wasn't it wasn't illegitimate to your point. I'll never forget uh, Ben Portnoy, the uh, Starkville not Starkville Columbus, Columbus yeah. dispatch 
beat writer, buddy of mine, great guy. He was new on the beat at that point. And he's freaking out on his phone before the game. And he's like, I don't really know how to handle this. Like, it's it's not like I'm like, you know, doing the coaching carousel thing. They're about to play a football game. And I was like, yeah, like, I don't envy you here for once. Ole Miss is not the circus. But that was bizarre. And then kind of carrying on top of that, the reason I argue now and switch mid-argument, mid-podcast, like that I found that found 19 to be the bigger clown show, is neither team played a very good game. Ole Miss switch quarterbacks halfway through their backup is defying calls from the offensive coordinator and the receivers coach on the sideline. The, Rich Rodriguez and Jacob Peeler are calling plays and receiver checks from the sideline and corrals getting in the huddle and saying, actually do this instead. And it's working. And then they go all the way down the field and score. And then the dog piss. And then the kicker with snakes in his head missed it because everyone knew he was going to miss it. And then states handed the victory. And the coach tells his own fan base to kick rocks and pound sand after a four and 18 gave him a win. That was a clown show. <laughs> Do you think after Corral said what he said at his press conference, and I, and I don't know if he had said it on the radio or if that had just been a rumor for a long time, but we had heard for a while that literally he was calling the plays on that last drive, literally not listening to anything they told him to do. Um, do you think it's possible had they gone to overtime that they would have put Plumley back in because he wasn't going to run what they called? So I've never considered that. That's a really interesting question you bring up. And to underscore what you were talking about a second ago, you talk about whether it was a rumor or not. Cor- Corral was asked specifically about the fourth and 20 whatever that he threw to Sanders. on. Yeah. I believe it was Richard Cross. I believe oh, wow. it was. And so he said that night on post-game radio that he said, no, they had the play called and I called something else. So he alluded to it there, but to my knowledge, at least publicly, Corral saying this on Monday, if you missed the press conference, he recapped the 2019 Egg Bowl on Monday at the Ole Miss's Monday availability. That was the first time he admitted that the entire drive, he said, screw these guys. And honestly, if you're in this frame of mind, one, I respect the hell out of this move. Some people might not like it. I think I it's He's got a competent coaching staff now that has unlocked the best of his abilities. He's as confident as you can possibly be in a coaching staff and a scheme. And I think he just took a moment on Monday and said, you know what? The last guys that coached me were idiots, and I'm going to make them feel like idiots. <laughs> can you imagine? Hold on. Put yourself in the shoes of Braylon Sanders on that play. Your coach is literally telling you to run a 15-yard stop route on fourth and 26 and your quarterback's like, nah, bro, we're not doing that. And he said, and Corral said, he's like, Sanders is looking at me confused. Like he doesn't know what to do. And honestly, I guess props to Sanders for listening to Corral, because if that's me, I'm like, well, I'm coming back next year and I probably should listen to the head coach, to the coaches. (laughs) Well, I mean, Corral was the smartest play caller of anybody involved in this situation. Yes, he was. And I guess that, uh, I mean, if you need that, you know, Rich Rodriguez was just absolutely despised by everyone. I mean, there, there it is. I mean, that and that. Isn't, and- that, isn't that the thing with Rich Rod though? Like, yes, Rich Rod's offense was horrible to watch. He was a bad play caller. And also the players hated Rich Rod. I don't think it's a secret, right? That the players all hated that man. Yeah. And I'm not going to rehash old stories because between me and you podcasting, I've told this story four times, but him, me being able to hear him through like a double brick cinder block wall in the visiting media room at Auburn, just cussing 
And then texting Richard and being like, hey, who's he yelling at? And he's like, no one in particular. He's just yelling into the abyss, walking around the locker room, cussing. Like, he was a psychopath. Like, the kids you would think that would like Rich Rodriguez didn't like Rich Rodriguez. He was despised in that locker room, which was hilarious. Agree. So, yeah, I think settling that debate, like, in terms of just the weirdness and hatred and, like, hatred breeding immaturity, as funny as the DK Metcalf thing was, you can't really argue that the dog piss celebration was not immature. And then, like, A.J. Brown is sitting there yelling, this is my city, my city. Love both those moves. I'm not knocking them, but that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Whereas 19 was just really an incompetent clown show on both sides. Both football <laughs> programs it were in a much more incompetent place run by incompetent people at that point. Yeah. If Matt Corral starts the Egg Bowl, is Matt Luke still the coach here? Yes. Well, well hold on. No. He wins the game. He wins the game. Does he win it in, in a yeah. full four quarters of Rich yes. Rod's system? Yeah, yeah, he 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 scores twenty four points. State had twenty one. I mean, Plumlee, for the love of God, put up put up fourteen, and and he couldn't do anything. Um, I mean, you got to think too. Matt plays two drives, takes them down the field both times. He makes the horrible throw into the almost end zone. Um, they didn't really have much of a. I mean, they weren't stopping Matt Corral that night. No, he was much better in the second half, and honestly. When they actually last year, if you go back and look at the tape, like when they let Corral actually behave like a normal quarterback and not bring him off the bench to throw on third down and then put his jacket back on on the sideline, he was fine. The same thing happened at Missouri. Everyone was like, oh, and Missouri finally was like, oh, pull me right, pull me left, pull me right. This is easy. And then they bring Corral in and he was fine. And then, of course, you go back to anyway, everyone is listening to this that's an old Miss fan is probably just barfing in their mouths thinking about last year. But yeah. I, maybe he wins the game, and so maybe hats off to Rich Rod for uh, putting Ole Miss football in a better place. <laughs> maybe Rich Rod worked for Ole Miss after all. I, I, maybe he did, and to his, to to I guess to his credit, he's not one of three offensive coordinators Ole Miss is paying a million dollars to right now. That would rely on the defensive side of the football. Oh God! Surely McGriff's is almost over, right? It's got to be close. So McGriff. Mac and then the other t- and then the two combined, uh, Dirk yeah. and Aldridge. That's a that's a that's a hefty bill for uh, two thirds of that, or I guess half because you split the well, two. In, now, in fairness, I wonder if Max gets offset by what he makes in Memphis. Probably, it's still wow. fun to say. <laughs> oh God! But anyway, that's about. That was kind of an interesting. Like I didn't feel I didn't I didn't have on the script of this podcast us debating the 2017 versus 2019 egg balls as bigger clown shows. Maybe it's a more not a more perfect way to uh, start this egg ball match. Before we get into these over unders that I have written down, I want to get into a conversation that we we can lead it into twofold. We'll get into Lincoln's coach of the year case and then what this game means for for both coaches on this side. So sure. what's funny is I mentioned earlier, we had a funny story. Colin and I actually recorded this podcast on Sunday. This was going to run on Sunday for Monday, just recapping the weekend that was egg bowl preview all wrapped into one. And the file on my computer just completely deleted and Skype's customer service shockingly was absolutely no help. So lost <laughs> file and I, I alluded to on that podcast an article I had coming out for a string for Saturday down south among a couple of different places now just to stay, you know, keep the writing itch up. And they asked me to make 
Lane Kiffin's coach of the SEC coach of the year case. And at first when they asked me to do the assignment, I was like, this is dumb. It's going to Sam Pittman. And then the more you start looking at it, it's not even take, it doesn't even take a deep numbers dive. Just the more if you spend 10 minutes thinking about it, it's actually not that dumb at all. And then after we record the podcast that never happened, Kiffin tweets out the article and says, no, it should go to Sam Pittman. <laughs> and we said on that podcast, you would do exactly that. Yeah, that's exactly right. So we're on the podcast. I think, yeah, we were like, he's probably going to see it and tweet that it should go to Pittman. And guess what happened? It goes to Pittman. But we just don't have any evidence of it because Skype screwed up my file. That 100% happened. Oh, God. I, I will put a hand on a Bible or whatever thing you want me to swear on and will swear that happened. But be that as it may, it's an interesting conversation. Absolutely. Because this Ole Miss team sits at three and four. Oh, they could have beaten Auburn. They could have easily beaten Arkansas. I don't know what else. What is there? Am I missing one in there? Like the, the level at which this offense is producing. And, you know, Sam Pittman – as much like it's much like any sort of subjective race, whether it's the N- NBA MVP, NFL MVP is the same way. These subjective awards we give to the best or most valuable something at the end of the season. If you can be the guy that captures the early season storyline, sometimes what you do in the back half of the season doesn't matter because the narrative has already taken shape and so strong. And narrative is one of my least favorite words in the dictionary because it's been bastardized to insinuate something's not true now. Like when someone's like, oh, the narrative. Oh, it's like, <laughs> what do you mean? The narrative that's backed up in facts? Like narrative does not mean false. But be that as it may, Pittman had the early narrative, but they're three and five now. Yeah, and got Missouri and who left? Alabama. Yes. So they're at best four and six. And you could probably argue with the current brand of football they're playing. And I don't know their COVID situation. It hasn't been great the last couple of weeks, but who's not dealing with that to some degree. If they end up at three and seven, how do you give it to him? You don't, you have to then have the debate of Mullen and and Kiffin, depending on how Lane finishes. I mean, if Lane finishes six and four with a win over number five, Texas A&M, I don't really think there's a debate. Um, Five and five, versus Dan Mullen going nine and one and winning the East would certainly be a debate. Agree a hundred percent. And when we originally had this conversation before it got wiped out was I framed the whole conversation as Pittman versus Kiffin. Tell me why it's not Kiffin. And I thought, I wish I thought about this when I wrote the article, cause it was really just dumb for me to omit Mullen, but you brought up, it's probably going to be Mullen. If he wins the sec East, like if there's a betting favorite on this, He's probably the favorite. And then Kiffin's probably still got third best odds behind Pittman. Yeah, yeah. That would be a Vegas not catching up thing quite yet. So, but way up, like if, let's go Kiffin versus Pittman first. It, Ole Miss probably beats Arkansas if they play again today. I mean, it took six interceptions for Arkansas to hold on to a one-score lead in the fourth quarter. Yep. Arkansas, they got screwed at Auburn. They should have a road win at Auburn. And yes. honestly, that could make a huge difference in his case. And who knows? Oh, absolutely. Like, and now maybe the narrative's just too hard to overcome at this point if they pull off that win. But if he finishes three and seven and Kiffin finishes, let's just give him a Texas A&M loss to not get too carried away. Sure. Five and five versus three and seven. It's not really a debate. What? It's not really a debate at that point to me. I don't think it is. 
does either. Pittman, that doesn't diminish what Sam Pittman does because when you got these SEC only schedules, you're sitting there thinking, oh, Arkansas is probably going 0-10 unless they pick off Ole Miss or someone. And so that doesn't diminish what he does at all. It's been incredible to watch the competence that he's displayed in year one. But Lane Kiffin, if he goes five and five with a defense that's averaging 40 points given up per game, and that's exactly what Ole Miss is at right now. He's an offensive coach that would go five and five in the defense allowing 41 points per contest. Now that number for Ole Miss's sake, they better hope goes down after playing Mississippi state, but that's a remarkable feat. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing on that, I think if Ole Miss allows 40 points to Mississippi state, they'll win. Um, but that's not, I mean, we can get in that later, but I, yeah, I mean, your, your defense just is not good. Um, whatever you want to put that blame on it, uh, or whoever you want to blame or whatever you want to blame, uh, the defense is pretty bad. And, you know, obviously lane is synonymous with the offense and man, it's, it's performing at a really, really high level. Um, it's funny though, because <laughs> how do you weigh, uh, what kind of responsibility does he have for this defense? And I think if we're being, you know, just honest with ourselves, I would say not much. Um, so if he's five and five versus Pittman's three and seven, there, there's just not a debate for me. Like, yes, uh, Sam Pittman won the football game, but Matt Corral, who is obviously one of the best quarterbacks in the country, I would say at least top 10, maybe top seven ish, um, had a bad game and they won by six on the road. Um, so yeah, I, I just don't think at that point it's a debate. I, uh, I, I agree. And it really what, if you're looking for individual like particles of evidence as opposed to a whole collective resume, what he's done with Matt Corral is remarkable. And it's going to make it's going to hindsight often makes things and particularly in this hot take culture look very silly. But the whole quarterback battle with national media, assuming Ole Miss is rolling with Plummy this year, is going to look so stupid in hindsight and people locally here that cover the team I, I include myself in that until obviously I moved away um at the end of the summer like knew that it was going to be a battle and Corral probably had the edge now granted we didn't really know until they put the pads on like what they were going to lean but you know traditional quarterback versus a kid that struggles to throw with much consistency but his electric skill set I would have bet on Corral going into camp but what he's done with Matt Corral, Matt Corral's a top five efficient quarterback in the country with a six interception game. Like, that was that one game, and he's a Heisman candidate. Yeah, yeah, and because especially if you win that game, what you're what five or four and three? Then is that right? Yeah, four and three. Yeah, yeah. Um, just really unfortunately didn't play well that day. But man, yeah, it's it's gonna look really silly for all the people when when I. I don't know if Plumley what he's going to do from the future. I think the kid wants to play quarterback, and I don't really think that's in the cards here anymore. So I'm I'm kind of fascinated with what winds up happening to him. If you're Dan Mullen, why would you? No. Why? Because he can't throw. And look, I get it. Like Ralph couldn't throw, um, and, and that type of thing. He, yeah. th th this is worse than Ralph, though. What about Fitz? I think it's worse than that. Fitz could it? All right, listen, listen to me when I say this. Fitz could not throw the football accurately. Fitz could throw the football, like arm strength wise, could throw it through a, a brick wall. Just God knows where it was going. That's fair, but this, every, this kid can't, can't throw a ten yard out with, with a great success, man. Have, but do we know that? Is is that a known commodity? 
Uh, okay. All right. All right. Let, let, uh, let, in complete fairness here, uh, Rich Rodriguez did him no favors. So it's hard to gauge that. I do know I saw him throw an out to the opposite hash against LSU last year that got picked off. Um, that, that just, it looked really, really bad um, from an arm strength perspective. So can, since can coaching help that? Sure. Absolutely. Um, if I'm Dan Mullen though, I, I trust Emory Jones a lot more. That's fair. So pull me aside and reeling this conversation back towards Kiffin a little bit. What he's done with Corral is remarkable. And if you're Lane Kiffin last year when you took this job, forget the pandemic and all that. You're sitting in your office watching film of what you have on the roster in December or January, whatever the hell. You know what I'm talking about. Sure. And he's looking at the two quarterbacks. Do you think he's thinking, man, I might have something in here at Corral? Or B, I'm going to try to find the most competent one to try to win enough games to kind of not keep people off my ass, to generate some excitement in year one. And then I'm going to go recruit my own quarterback to where now is he's probably going to be begging Corral to stay for 2022 and beyond. Yeah, uh, I don't think he knew he could do this. And I say that because I agree when they started camp, they got about even reps. Um there was there was nobody ahead or behind. I think if Lane knew that Corral could do this, there would be an emphasis on all right, let's get as many you know first team reps to him as we can. And I can tell you that was not the case. Um, they split reps pretty evenly for about the first two weeks or so, and then started to leak out just a little bit that you know Matt's probably going to be the starter against Florida, and then he performs well against Florida, and you know seven weeks later here we are. And a little bit more context to that is obviously. The no spring thing, because I do like I, my opinion, if they'd had spring, particularly while Plumlee's playing baseball, like, I think Kiffin just it's just it, the same thing happened in camp. He looked at it for a week and was like, OK, like like I know what I got here. It's just when they opened camp, he didn't know what the hell he had. They, they didn't know anything about any of these dudes. So while, yeah, that's absolutely correct, and I agree. I do think in a, a normal offseason, if they had spring, it would not have been equal reps in August. Yeah, no, that that's completely fair. Um, you know, and and I don't mean to to off track this conversation, but there's there's a guy that doesn't get a lot of credit um because I don't think people understand the role he has with this offense, but Jeff Levy calls the plays, you know. Like like people don't talk about him enough for me. That that guy has done one heck of a job this year and and frankly deserves a little bit more credit than I think he's probably gotten. It's a perfect combination. Lane is very good with quarterbacks and he's very good with 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 Crowell, obviously, but I, that you know, if your scheme's incompetent, it doesn't really matter what what like how good you are at quarterback. So you know, it's a yin and a yang thing. You can't have one without the other. So I agree. And while I think Kiffin's influence is on this offense heavily, it does take competent play calling, and he's done very, very, very good with that. On top of Kiffin kind of nurturing Corral and watch and and kind of bringing him along. So I agree. I don't think he gets enough credit. Um, you know, because you think Lane Kiffin. He's got the huge menu. He's known as an offensive guy. He's rightfully known as a quarterback. Absolutely. I hate quarterback whisper, but yeah, you're right. I mean, if the if the scheme sucked and you know they're not using Elijah Moore in the creative ways they use him, like he's, he's not as effective. So I agree, and so I think that's enough evidence in its own right for make him a coach of the year case. You know, if Pittman goes four and six, he'll have an argument. I think but i think losing to lsu that shit may have sailed and again that doesn't diminish what he's done so i guess what i'm arguing is that he matt 
Lane Kiffin probably has the second best SEC coach of the year case behind Mullen now. What do I think happens? Florida runs the table, wins the East, and Mullen wins it regardless of what happens in the SEC title game, unless Lane knocks off A&M if they play that game and goes six and four, and then it's a really fascinating debate. I don't think it's a debate at that point. If if you're Lane Kiffin and and you, I guess we'll disagree there. If you're five and four and you go to College Station, by the way, I do think that game gets played after the college football rankings came out tonight and Texas A&M was number five. I think that game absolutely gets played. Um, they'll figure it out. They may have Ole Miss playing on Christmas, but I think that game gets played. Um, so I, if if you're Lane and you go six and four, man, and you beat a top five Texas A&M team on the road, and at that point, you just should be coach of the year. Like, it, that, that, that's insane. You're the I hottest agree. team in the country at that point. I would agree. Up. There's just a lot of weight carried with Mullen finally winning. Like not finally, but Mullen winning the East in year three and all that, particularly if he wins the damn thing and beats Alabama. Yeah. Now, I do think it's announced um, before the championship game. So I don't know how that would work. So that's going to be an interesting storyline to follow because you have the guy that stole the whole storyline and narrative and all that, you know, at the beginning of the year. I mean, week five of this weird season, Pittman's a slam dunk as coach of the year, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, Ole Miss, Ole Miss week five of the season has just lost back-to-back games to Arkansas and Auburn. And frankly, people are pissed off. Um because, you know, hey, you, you didn't think you were going to lose both of those. You thought you'd split them. Um, and now you you roll off wins against Vanderbilt and South Carolina, and it just changes everything. Yeah, whereas Pitt, they've come down to earth. You know, I think if Arkansas beats LSU over the weekend, yeah. which you argue they let that one slip away, and they're at worst get to 5-5 five and five if they beat Missouri, then it's a really weird dynamic. But I think that LSU loss really hurts his case, and, you know, Again, not diminish like it's a it's an arbitrary award. It doesn't really matter in the end, and doesn't diminish what he does. But it's like the Ole Miss is playing very good football, and they lost the coming off the whole Arkansas train. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting for sure. I mean, you got three good cases, assuming you know Lane at least gets two more wins, because I, I don't think one win would give him any shot. Um, and assuming you know Pittman obviously beats Missouri, and then Mullen holds on and continues to win the East. Agreed. So that was a fascinating conversation that uh, I accidentally gave uh, Lane Kiffin a door to uh, bring himself into the conversation by writing that and then him tweeting it out and saying, Lane, (laughs) saying absolutely not. It should go to Sam Pittman, which we're probably both wrong in the sense that it's probably going to Dan Mullen, but there's an outside shot. um, I'd say better than an outside shot, a pretty decent shot that Kiffin and Ole Miss play their way into that conversation. And again, it deservedly so, because this defense is horrible. And you mentioned how much blame he deserves to bear. I would agree that it's very little, but I'd also like to point out, he kind of shits on this defense in press conferences a lot. Absolutely he does. And that's why, that's why, like, I'm not just giving the defensive staff a free pass. Like, you know, some people are, and that's fine. They're right. But when I hear Lane Kiffin upset that the defense doesn't play better, that tells me that he expects more, right? Um, so if he expects more, I think it's okay for me to expect that the defense play a little bit better. Um, so hopefully if you're an Ole Miss fan, you kind of hope they do. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. If if you offered Lane Kiffin right now, you get to say, hey, Mississippi State's going to score 35 points on Saturday. That's it. You If you score 36, you win. You score 34, you lose. You think he takes it? Ooh. Yes, 
Yeah, I do. But is there a number below 50 he wouldn't take? <laughs> well, I don't think I would take 45. Um, that's asking a lot out of your offense. I think Ole Miss scores 42 to 40 Saturday. That's what I think. I, th- I think it's a 42 to 45 point game for the offense. Yeah, he probably takes that, which is just a – I mean, that, I guess that tells you everything you know, need to know <laughs> about what they're working with on the defensive side of the football. But to your point, him getting upset by stuff like that is like – like some of that probably stems from watching what Mac did in the 2019 tape and being like, hold on, I had more than this in the cupboard. Like this is not all talent. Now, granted, they they lost a bunch on the defensive sure. line. Talked about their pass rush ad nauseum. Their run defense is horrific. Secondary is getting a little bit better. Getting a little bit better. Not getting what everything you need out of the linebacking core. But you know, when you talk about how yes, it's a talent issue, and how does Ole Miss fix its defense long term? You recruit better players and a ton more of them because they need it everywhere. But at the same time, this team is a terrible tackling team. They miss assignments. Like it's not all talent. But at the same time, I wonder if there's an element to where. Mac was kind of hired to like, like, hey, fix this. I don't care what you have to run. I don't care how it looks. We need to be more competent immediately. I wonder if there's any element of Durkin and Partridge saying this. We're gonna do what we do until we get the right players to do it well. Yeah, maybe so, maybe so. And and if that's the case, I trust that they'll get the right players. They're both really good recruiters, especially Partridge. So um, we'll see. But I just think it is interesting the way Lane talks about the defense. I, I think he expects more. So I think it's okay for me as a fan to expect more. I, I don't disagree with that at all. And like like you mentioned, like why were why was Stuart why why was Partridge hired and Durkin on this this level to some degree as well? Like he's not hired because he's Mike McIntyre and won at San Jose State and does less and more. He was hired to go get blue chip recruits at Ole Miss and get a bunch of them. Yeah. And and I think I think the leaves point to them being able to do that, and if they can, um, and that's what's crazy, right? Like if you're an Ole Miss fan, that has to be what excites you. Okay, you're year one, your defense stinks. This offense looks like a total rebirth from what you know. Let's just pretend like you can do this on a consistent level with this scheme and Lane Kiffin on offense. And you don't have to improve a ton on defense to be really, really good. Like if this defense could be average. You're going to win a lot of football games. And that's why I'll never buy into the maybe Phil Longo wasn't the problem bullshit. Like, it's not like, like, like Ole Miss, Jaron Ely, very good running back. Snoop Connor, good player. Matt Corral, good quarterback. Elijah Moore, fantastic receiver. Offensive line, sturdy, but eh, was much better in 2016, 20. Oh, much better. 20, offensive line was much better in 2017, 2018 than it is now. Fair? Yeah, I think the offensive line's fine, though. No, no, they're fine, but they were better. 2019, They honestly, Jack McNeil did a great job making them serviceable because if you watch that Memphis game from last year, it's like this might be the worst offensive line ever. <laughs> so th- last year notwithstanding, because that's kind of when you started losing a lot of the veterans, the Javon Pattersons sure. of the world. But 2018 and 2017 offensive lines were better than this one. Yeah, Fair? yeah sure. It doesn't have to be huge. It's not a huge gap. So, no. you know, worst offensive line, worst receivers – is quarterback a wash? Like, how do you compare to Amu? Uh, no, Corral's better. Okay. Okay, fair. And he's definitely, obviously, he's better than Shea Patterson. Oh, um, God. So, but people forget Patterson started, what? Six games, seven games, something, yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, like, 
That's why I'll never buy the Longo thing because I, I don't think Longo is good. I think my argument is after watching um, last year's offense, I, I think Phil didn't get to run exactly what he wanted to run while he was at Ole Miss. I don't I would, think I, would I don't think he's terrible. But what is Lane Kiffin doing with AJ Brown, Demarcus Lodge, DK Metcalf, Dawson Knox, and Jordan Wilkins? Um, a lot. He, he's, oh, man. he's winning a lot of football games. Look, I, you'll never hear me say Phil Longo is a good offensive coordinator. I just I think there's a case when you watch him coach in North Carolina that that tells you he wasn't the only problem with that offense in 2017 and 2018. Agreed. He also has some sick graphics he loves to send out. He'll say, he'll DM you if you want him. Just you know, tweet that he's not a good coach. <laughs> Who needs a DM? He'll just if you ask him a question on iMessage, he'll just send back. Phil Longo, seventh in the country in total offense. Anyway, not here to hear that. I like Longo. He was yeah, good with. He had a. Uh, he's a nice man. He he is actually very interested in media. He he told me one of the first times I met him that if he wasn't doing this. That he, you know, he considered like kind of start maybe starting like a podcast or something. He mentioned something about like like finding it interesting, and I was like, "Well, I mean, we can trade jobs and salaries if you want to, Chief. Like, we can go." <laughs> I work. would, I would like to hear what because you know, look, I don't think the man is an idiot. Um, Rich Rodriguez, I might think he's an idiot. I don't think Phil Longo is an idiot. I would like to hear his rationale as to what happened in two thousand because I think if you asked him and it wasn't like in a pissed off way. He could give you a pretty insightful answer. I I would like to just what the hell happened, man? Like just get, what you what what is your take on it? He's not, yeah, no, I agree. He's not an idiot and he wasn't terrible, but the jump he made from the level he was at in the Longo ball offense going straight into the SEC with the turmoil he entered. And granted, he yeah. didn't know it when he entered it. And let's be honest here about why Phil Longo is hired. Uh -huh. Phil Longo hired to be the fall guy because Freeze thought it would fail and then he could take back over play calling duties midway through the season and be held as the smartest man in the room because he's totally not a sociopath or a narcissist or anything like that if you're catching my drift. So like the reason he was hired coupled with the defunction dysfunction that immediately happened around him, like it wasn't he wasn't set up to work either, if that makes sense. No, it wasn't. He was he was not set up to call plays in week seven of two thousand seventeen. I, I think Freeze would have took over by that point. Yeah, I I agree. So with that being said, we've uh, let's scroll in real quick to these. Uh, let's scroll into this egg bowl because this is a fascinating okay. egg bowl from a number of different perspectives. One, it's not the last game of the season. You're not, not having to worry about coaching searches the Saturday after, which is <laughs> kind of a strange place to be. Like. It's not over. You're not waiting to see if they're getting bowled. Well, they got potentially two more games to play after this, which is one, just bizarre. Two, no one's going to get to go. And three, like, it's taint. Like, the, the pandemic threw some water on this flame as well as just these two coaches not acting like children. It's a, it's a, it's a strange age bowl week. And outside of the pandemic being a huge bummer, the other part's not a terrible thing. No, no, no. Um, it is interesting though. Like, hey, if this works, I wonder if they'll consider moving it off the last last week of the season going forward. I would think probably not, but it is something that some fans have clamored for for a while. <laughs> play that thing in August for all I care. Um, play, play it in March. Yeah, I mean, good, good God. And it, honestly, if there was ever a year where this country needed a clown show, drunk egg bowl on Thanksgiving, it's this year. 
Like, would you be totally opposed to, well, actually, obviously Ole Miss people would, but can we bring back, like, the whole gang, freeze Luke Mullen and just have them coach this one game? No, 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 we can't. No, absolutely not. No, 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 God, no, no. (laughs) Let's, Let's keep everybody's coaches the same. I want I want the two coaches that coach this football these football teams to show up on Saturday, um, for a multitude of reasons. So be uh, the, be that as it may, we enter this Egg Bowl. Mississippi State's two and five. Ole Miss is three and four. Their records are one game apart, but really, with the way the season has gone, they're kind of worlds apart in terms of like, I guess, the temperature of each program and how each fan base feels That's about. What's crazy, right? Like Ole Miss has won one more game than Mississippi State. But Ole Miss fans are excited, and Mississippi State fans are like, maybe we could try running the ball. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't. Need, can you blame them? What they've they've scored zero points in how many games? Uh, zero offensive points, at least against uh, Kentucky. Kentucky and Alabama, and then they scored um, one whole offensive touchdown against Texas A and M. Yeah, not been great. Not been great. No, and their defense has been good. Uh, you yeah. know, they've struggle with some opt-outs and injuries and other things but the i think the part of the reason for that is not being able to move the football and score particularly when the guy you hired is supposedly an offensive genius and i don't mean that like pointed at all that's a much more frustrating brand of football to watch whereas one old miss fans are used to for the last three years their defense sucking and are just very excited the offense is scoring a lot of points because it's an exciting offense to watch so i think that's where most of that stems from sure um you know, I'm interested in Mississippi State's defense and what they're going to do against Ole Miss because, look, I, is Mississippi State's defense um, okay? Yeah, I, I think it's okay. Um, but Alabama's offense tore them up. Ole Miss's offense is pretty comparable to, to Alabama's offense. In my, and I know that's crazy to say out loud, but I don't think I'd be wrong statistically looking at it from saying that Ole Miss's offense and Alabama's offense are pretty much on the same level. Um, and Alabama's offense ripped them up pretty good. So are they going to be able to stop Ole Miss? Because they didn't stop Alabama. And uh, and to, to that point, they valiant effort, I mean, Saturday night by them. What bringing sure. dudes with all that turmoil and having a chance to win in the fourth quarter. And I guess most of this is a product of them stopping Georgia's running game. But JT Daniels did throw for 400 yards. In his first game in two, almost a year and a half. Right, and most of that was out of necessity because Georgia's had a fantastic running game, particularly this year and for the better part of the last half decade. So, like, on one hand, yes, he threw for 400, but on the other hand, they also ran for nothing. So, like, some context required there. Sure, sure. Um, But if JT Daniels throws for 400 on you, what's Ole Miss going to throw for you on? Because I think Ole Miss is better at quarterback, better at the wide receiver position. Um, I guess wide receiver's position could be argued, but quarterback certainly couldn't be. Um, so, I, look, I think Ole Miss is scoring a lot of points on Saturday. I, I think Mississippi State's defense is fine. I This, this is going to sound bad. I think they get overhyped because they share the field with a unit that's just awful. I uh, So, I, I agree in terms of the first part of that to where I do think Ole Miss is going to score a lot of points. I'm going to be honest about this matchup, man. I don't see it from a Mississippi State perspective. Oh, yeah. And and I, I you I can say that to where like twenty like twenty sixteen Egg Bowl I thought there was a chance you know State was ten point underdogs I thought there was a chance they could come in and win because things had gotten so just toxic 
and stale with the freeze thing. And that team had no interest in being there. And they decided to prove to everyone they had no interest in being there that day at State ran them out of thing. Surprising result, uh, for sure. 17, I didn't like I didn't think Ole Miss would win that game, but like I was kind of like, they'll probably put up a fight here. 18, I knew exactly what was gonna happen. That was my first year on radio with Super Talk, and they're asking me to make the case for Ole Miss to win all week, and I'm like you mean make a case for the team where the defense can't stop anyone and then Longo's red zone offense against the best defense in college football? Like, what are we talking about here? What do you want me to say? And the game ended exactly like that. What, State won 35-3? Is that right? Yeah, Yeah, something like that. It was was never close. It was never even as close as the score. And so, like, you knew exactly what was going to happen last year. And then, I mean, two years ago. And then last year, it's like – I don't really know what's going to happen here, but the game's going to be close and it's going to be a clown show and look exactly what happened. This year, I feel like I know exactly what's going to happen. I don't see this for State. I think it's a bad matchup because the way to consistently consistently move the ball up and down the field and all miss is to run it down their throat because they're, the defense is very soft against the run. And then that puts the, that in turn, obviously, play action, run action, all that other stuff, puts the defense and the secondary, I should say, in tough spots. State secondary, I mean, shorthanded, they lose Marcus Murphy, Nathan Pickering opts out. That's a huge pass rusher. I don't see it. And I, I could be wrong because weird stuff happens in this game all the time. I'm regularly putting my hand up being wrong, and I could be totally wrong about this. So not to discourage the state fans that listen to the show. I know there's a few. From this matchup standpoint, I, I really don't see it. I think Ole Miss wins by 15 points. Yeah. I, I think if I predicted today, I would go Ole Miss 48, State 31, something like that. I, I How is Mississippi State going to stop Ole Miss enough to to support an offense that's not going to score? Look, man, all right, here's the thing. Vanderbilt's defense sucks too, and State scored 24 at home. Like, are they really going to come into Oxford and light up the world? Like, I don't see it. And so, Tanner over the last three and a half quarters. Yeah. I mean, like, the first two touchdowns came before Vanderbilt had even woken up and realized they were in a fight. And that's not to discredit and say at all. I'm just saying the first two drives were near flawless. And then after that, it was really a struggle for most for of the game. Yeah. I, I just, man, I don't, I, don't think state's going to come into Oxford on Saturday and score a whole bunch of points. I just don't see it. So are you going to be able to hold on this down and keep them under 40 points? Well, I don't see that either. So I, I'm with you. I don't see the path unless I think if Ole Miss plays well, the game's not competitive in the fourth quarter. If Ole Miss does not play well offensively, sure, they drop a bunch of balls, they turn the football over. Yeah, any game at that point is going to be close. But, I mean, we're, we're talking about a team that, man, they had 11 rushes for negative 22 yards against Vanderbilt. Uh, they threw for 226 yards. They had 204 total yards against Vanderbilt. They had 4.9 yards per attempt on pass plays. Like, I, I just, how was this team looking? Maybe they got better last week. Maybe they did. We'll see. How was that team going to come into Oxford and just light up the scoreboard? Rushes the football. I'm trying to do the math here. 16 times per game? Yeah, something like that. Against Ole Miss, you need to run it 17, 16 times a half. 
I mean, that's the prescription to beat Ole Miss is to run it 16, 17 times a half. Run it 35 times a game and run it down their throat because Ole Miss average, I mean, Ole Miss will give up six, seven yards of carry like it's nothing. I mean, Ole Miss, if you're watching the Ole Miss defense from the naked eye, you'll think that play wasn't that bad. And the guy ran five yards before he got touched. I mean, at least he's not running for 40. And to your point, they just don't run the football and don't really try. And now, granted, that's not totally fair because some of the stuff, some of the stuff that Lee does at the line of scrimmage is like a pseudo type run game. Like sub, it's basically rush yards, but you're doing it in a very short passing game. But the secondary is not the one you want to test here. You want to test soft front seven. And I just, I don't see, I don't like that from a matchup standpoint. And I like state's defense, but at this point in the years, they're so shorthanded and, I guess I'll say all that to say their path to victory is so narrow because if real Rogers throws two picks and give Ole Miss a short field twice, it's probably over. Yeah. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Like Mississippi state's not going to come in and light up the scoreboard. They're just not, I get Ole Miss's defense is not good. Um, they're not going to come in and light up the scoreboard unless Ole Miss turns the football over. And this has not been a team outside of Fayetteville, Arkansas that turns the football over a lot, man. They they've had three fumbles this year. I can't recall the last, or I'm trying to think. All right, Corral threw a pick against Auburn, um, and then he threw a pick against Florida. Outside of Fayetteville, Arkansas, man, he doesn't turn the ball over a lot. So I just, if Ole Miss doesn't turn the football over, I will will say this. If Ole Miss wins the turnover battle on Saturday, I don't think Mississippi State has any prayer of winning this football game. That's a good place to get into this over-under in a second, and I agree. But I, I wanted to have one last conversation before we get into this over-under. One, I agree, because two, if, particularly if Ole Miss gets off to a fast start, like if Ole Miss is up 10 nothing early, like, good luck, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they're going to keep going. Whereas, though, if they scores an early touchdown, maybe gets a turnover and punches one in on a short field or something like that, then Ole Miss is in for a dogfight, and it's kind of your tip. Oh, you can throw all the records out in the egg bowl. I'm not ruling out that possibility. I just think state's path is pulling off and really playing a remotely close game is is much narrower. I, I would say fewer paths to that than there are honestly Ole Miss boat racing them. Yes. Yeah, sure. Fair enough. Fair enough for sure. Before we get in the over under big picture perspective, this game for each coach, I think is fascinating because uh-huh. they obviously like they're not gonna play into it if you know. Mullen tapped into the whole Mississippi State stereotype of having a very unwarranted chip on their shoulder and wanting to hate and beat Ole Miss and all that jazz. Whatever you, your opinion is on that, tapped into the hell for it. He, he he was fantastic at Mississippi State. He's the greatest coach in their history. You know, Freeze was the antagonistic, like, come to church with us, but don't watch what we do every other day of the week type of thing. Neither of these two coaches give off that vibe. Leach was very bad against Washington in the Apple Cup. And, you know, I think Kiffin cares. I think Kiffin's a cerebral, smart enough guy to realize that it, that this matters, like, to, to the people and, and winning this is going to build him up a lot of capital. So I think he cares. But I just wonder what this game does for them long term because if if Leach is able to pull this off somehow, this pretty much puts a Band-Aid on all the other crap for the rest of the season. And if <laughs> – Kiffin boat races them, then it's it's he's built up a lot of capital. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it. Yeah, if if Lane Kiffin wins this football game, man, they're, they're, this is a really really good season, no matter what else happens. Um, I, I I believe that. I think even at four and six with a win over Mississippi State, 
this fan base will, with this offense and you seeing how bad the defense is, this fan base, no matter what, will be excited. You lose this football game, it's going to be real hard to get some folks excited if you don't if you don't finish off with a win against Arkansas or A and M or, or LSU. Because man, folks tired of losing Mississippi State. I'm just being honest with you. I mean, they've lost two in a row. Um, they lost three out of the last four. He needs to win on Saturday, and I think he will. And I think he knows that. And I think he takes it serious enough. I, there's a sentiment amount among Ole Miss fans that, that I just don't understand. It's oh, we don't care about the Egg Bowl. Why? Like. I get it. The, the rivalry has been a little bit over the top. I absolutely get it. You, you think Alabama at some point is going to ever say, I don't, we want a bunch of national titles. We don't care about Auburn. No, it, it's a rivalry. Like, I've never understood the leave the trophy on the field thing. It is a rivalry football game. It's okay to not like them. I, I've just never understood it. So, yeah, I think it means a lot to each program. And like you said, it, if Leach was able to win this football game, it completely turns uh, the perception of his first year around. If, if Kiffin's able to win this football game, man, it's 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 a momentum. I don't want to say builder because I think the momentum's already started to be built. But, man, it just keeps going if you're able to win this football game. Yeah, Torres, is your if Kiffin is not able to like not able to win the game and State pulls it off, it, it I mean it really just kind of puts a huge damper on any sort of like momentum and capital they've built up. So I just find the big picture, even in their first years, like fascinating because you know if, if Leach gets boat raced in this game, he's going to find out very quickly that that doesn't really fly. Like you know at Washington State, it was okay to lose to Washington because you're Washington State and they're Washington. That doesn't really fly here. And, you know, if they play a competitive game and Ole Miss wins by a field goal or something late, then it's like, okay, State's had the year from hell with opt-outs and 49 scholarship chids and all that jazz, whatever. But, like, like Leach would do well not to get blown out here because I think that changes things significantly. Absolutely. I want to read something real quick um, about, you know, there, there's a lot of Ole Miss fans and State fans that think, uh, you know, maybe Leach will do something different on Saturday from what he's done, you know, his entire career. Maybe he's going to line up, run the football 30, 30 times against Ole Miss's uh, defense. And and you mentioned that he was not successful in the Apple Cup. What, like 0-7, 0-8 in it? Never beat Washington, correct? Correct. Okay. I want to read a quote from Jimmy Lake, who is now Washington's head coach. Uh, he was their defensive coordinator. I believe every – or the last five years Le- Leach was there against uh, – but he was the Washington defense coordinator. Obviously, Leach was at Washington State. I'm going to read this real quick. We knew what type of offense they were that were playing. They do the same thing year in and year out. This is five years in a row, so it makes it really easy to game plan when an offense does the same thing every single year. Obviously, now with the snow conditions, they played in snow last year, and they can do only one thing that handcuffs you a little bit. So it was definitely to our advantage, and we took advantage of it. They asked him if you know, he was surprised they hadn't changed anything over five years. This is what he said. It does surprise me. But knowing what I know about their head football coach there, he does things a little different. So hopefully he remains there for a long time. That would be awesome. Like, Jesus Christ. I've never seen another coach put someone on blast like that. Very subtly and artfully where it doesn't really draw that many headlines. Like, I've never heard that before, at least not nationally. Yeah, I mean, I I remember it being put on Twitter after the game. I don't remember a big deal being made about it, but that's just the thing. He's not going to do something different. There's nothing in his past to suggest that he's going to change his game plan to combat a team's weakness. So I don't think he's going to line up, run the football 30 times on Saturday. I think he's going to throw the crap out of it. And I don't think that's a recipe for success. 
I was about to say, I don't think that's going to work out for him. And boy, that's going to make some people mad, particularly if the game plays out in a frustrating manner. Like, I think it will if uh, if he does that. I think he needs to try to find a way to run the ball. And, you know, no Kylan Hill to do that. No, I mean, I, I don't think Saturday goes well for State. So we'll see how that plays out. Last thing we'll do before we get out of here is a little game of over-under. One of them was researching another story last night, and I found it uh, – this is a prelude to the over-under. The shocking Ole Miss's quarterback performances in the Egg Bowl, over-under the, the amount of quarterbacks since 2000 that have thrown for 300 yards in the Egg Bowl. Two. Oh, oh, oh two. All two. right, I mean, I, I can name them, I think. Um, Shirley Kelly in 15. Shirley. Nope. Really? Nope. He was awesome in that football game. That's crazy. So they must have run it in the second half a lot. Yep. Um, it's one. I'll go and spoil it for you. It's one. Do you know who it is? It's one? I mean, one. I mean, guess if it's not if it's not Chad, it would be Eli, would be my guess, unless Tamu in 17 eclipsed it. Ah, no. Wrong, wrong, and wrong. And I'm not putting you on blast because there's no way any sane human would know this. So Chad Kelly in the 2015 Egg Bowl was 21 30 for 236 and two touchdowns. He was great. He just didn't require to do a lot. Eli's best was 267. Shea Patterson in the 55 to 20 loss through for okay. three. He's the only quarterback since the yeah. turn of millennium. They, they had to throw the crap out of it because they got down. Okay. Bo Wallace threw for five touchdowns in 2014, but did not eclipse the 100 yard mark. He was well, at 93, but. Yeah, uh, he didn't. I mean, he was hurt. He didn't particularly play well that day. As far as I can tell, there's only two dudes since 1988, and that's as far as I could go back. The other guy, and forgive me, I can't remember his name now, threw for 345 in 1988, and those are the only two dudes that have done it. That may have been Partridge. Um, yeah. um, I'm, I'm trying to – I'll look it up. It was uh, it was not – it was some guy I've never heard of. Okay. Uh, well, Sowers? Maybe, I don't know. Uh, Shall I mean, Showers, not Sowers. Uh, Showers, Russ Showers. Um, but you just kind of go back, like, all right, John Rice Plumley doesn't play particularly well last year. Jeez. Um, Jordan Tamu doesn't play but a half in 2018, and obviously Matt Corral struggles. Um, Tamu played fine in 2017. Shea was fine in 16, and Kelly was really good in 15. Bo was not particularly good in 14. He was awful in 13. Um, he was fine in 12. I mean, he just kept throwing it to Moncrief, which is what I'm, I would have done too. Um, and then 11, they played poor Barry Brunetti. So, yeah, they, they've had some not good performances in this game. Yep, agree. So, I found that fascinating. Over under the first one I'll go is over under 300 yards for Matt Corral. Over. Easy. If he doesn't go over 300 yards, it almost loses. Agree 100%. And he will be the second guy since 2000 to do that, which I find just absolutely wild, And the especially the fact that the other one is Shea Patterson. Uh, <laughs> I'll go over there. Uh, over under 145 yards for Jerry John Ely on the ground. I'll go under because I think Ole Miss is going to throw the crap out of it. I think I'll go under here, too, because I think the, you, Snoop will siphon off enough carries as well. Over under 100 and – I can't believe I put this as the over under. 160 receiving yards for Elijah Moore. Over. I mean, Daniel, I was trying to get you to go under. No. I mean, he's had two 200 games, your games in a row. Lane Kiffin schemes him open. Um, him and Jeff Levy scheme him open. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not going to bet on an under uh, for Elijah Moore right now. Okay, I'll go. 
whatever. I'll go over. Do you know the record for receiving yards in a game for Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl? Is it, is it not Moncrief? It is, but it's 173, which I know is a huge game, but does that not seem kind of small in comparison? Uh, yeah, but, I mean, man, he was awesome that night. I can tell you, were you, there, were you there that night? I was. He did that I on mean, catches. Yeah, and he did it all on Jonathan Banks, which, uh, if you know where I'm from, that, that helped my soul. Yeah, Jonathan Banks, open old Miss hater, a very, very on-brand Mississippi State alum, I would say, in that sense. Uh, he, he, went, he went to the other high school in my county. So, okay. What yeah. is the other high school there? Yeah, uh, East Webster. Okay, interesting. Over under two and a half turnovers for Mississippi State. Hmm. I'll go under. I'll go under, but I think it's two, right? Like I think, I think maybe a fumbling interception or two interceptions. I, I think two. I would go under before I went over, but I, I, I'll go under. Um, going over that wouldn't shock me though. I'll, I'm going under on that as well. Real Rogers has been fine. You know, he threw what one of his three or two of his three picks against Kentucky when he was just thrown in a terrible situation. He's actually been pretty smart with the football. Sure, I'm going un, under there too. Over under two and a half turnovers for Ole Miss under um they don't turn the football over outside of Fayetteville Arkansas so I don't see a reason for them to start now yeah I would say outside of a you know a quirky two fumbles or some shit having to do with you know coupled with one corral interception and you get to three I would uh I would go under as well over under 400 yards of total offense for Mississippi State under I don't think they're gonna like the scoreboard I mean they had 200 a seven yards against Vanderbilt. I don't think that is going to equate to 400 against Ole Miss. I wonder what they had. Let's look. I wonder what they had against uh, Georgia last week from a total offense perspective. Let's see if I can find it. Because now I'm kind of interested if I can find it. Uh, here we go. Box score. They had 358 last week against Georgia. Um, so would it going over shock me? No, no, because they played well last week. But I, I just go back to that Vanderbilt game too, man. Like I set that too high. Over under three twenty five. I'll go. I, I think it's in that range. I, I'll go over that. I I think three fifty three sixty is our number. I think I agree. I'll go. I think I'll go under four hundred. I'll definitely go over three twenty five. I think they get into that three fifty range, and it just turns out to how matter they turn, how many times they turn it over, or if they're able to stay turnover free. Over or under fourteen rushing attempts for Mississippi State. <laughs> Their average is sixteen a game. You have to go over here. He at least has to try to come the game. No, no, he doesn't. I'm I'm not going to allow myself to think that he's going to do that because there's no proof in his career that he will. Um, what did you say their average a game was? Six, just over 16 attempts per game. All right. Well, if they're averaging 16 attempts per game, I don't think they'll do it less than that against Ole Miss. So I'll go over 14. If you set it at 17, I'd go under. Well, hold on. Context there, and it, context there would be. Hold on. I'm pulling this up in live time because I just accidentally exited out. There's context to be had here um, in the sense that pre and post Hill. Okay. Hold on one second. Oh, this is great podcasting. Well, post Hill was uh, after Kentucky because uh, right. he, he yelled at some coaches after the Kentucky game. He opted out after – golly. I no, thought- no, no, no. 
he did not opt out after Kentucky. He just randomly decided he wasn't going to play uh, for four weeks and then opted out. Okay. So I can't find the game log. Jaquavius Marks does have 41 carries on the season. Hill with just 15. Dylan Johnson with 22. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. I mean, KJ Costello is their second leading rusher in terms of carries, not yards, obviously. He's their second well, leading. And a lot of that sacks, though. I guess that's true as well. I'm going to go under. If, if, you're, if you're convincing me that he's not going to do this thing, then I'll go under. Yeah, he's not going to line up and run the football. There's nothing in his illustrious career to suggest that. Over under three sacks for Ole Miss, and I know that Over. sounds ridiculous, but State's been, State's been sacked 21 times in seven games. Over. Ole Miss rush is awful. I'm going to go under on that. I, I I think Ole Miss winds up up enough in the fourth quarter where they can line up and tee off. Do I think this defensive line is good? No. I do think they're athletic enough where if you tell them, hey, they're passing at every play, they can wreak a little havoc. Over under 260 passing yards for Will Rogers. I'll go over because I think he's going to throw it every play. Not every play, but I think he's going to throw it a ton. So I'll go over there. I That's fair. In the five, let's see, one, two, three, four. Four games he started, he's only done that once, and he's only gone over 200 twice. Well, I, but I think that's going to be a little different. Two for three thirty-six against State, and look like and, and if you talk about they found something, he looks a lot better. Sure, yeah, I, I think he's a good player. Um, so I'll, I'll go over. I would. I think he finishes two ninety to three hundred, and they finish rushing for about fifty or fifty-five yards. Over under three and a half passing touchdowns for Real Rogers. It would be the first multi-touchdown oh. passing game of his young career. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm going under there. I'm going to go under there. Mm, I'll go over because I don't. Th- I think State probably gets to twenty-one points, if, you know, in whatever way. And I don't. I mean, are you going to bet on them rushing the ball into? The- <laughs> so I'll go. I'll go over. I'll say he throws three touchdowns. Well, you, you, uh, hold on. You said the over under was three and a half. I wrote that down wrong. I meant to set it at two and a half. Okay. Well, I'll go over there. Yeah. I'll go. I'll say he throws three. Okay. Two and a half is that. I messed that up. Let's see if I have any more written down mm, no oh over under well we kind of did that for over under two interceptions for the Ole Miss secondary for the Ole Miss secondary I'm gonna go on well uh, I'm gonna go under I'll go under yeah I'll go under I think one is most likely I do think they get at least one though I think they get one I don't think they get two either I'll go under as well and then over under points scored for Ole Miss, 37. Oh, over, easy. Uh, 45 to 48 is my estimate. Okay. I'll cautiously go over on that as well. That's all the over-unders I had. <laughs> Good deal. Was there any, like, major aspect I missed? Any juicy over-under I didn't um, hit? What, what, what would you set Corral's passing yard at? Mm, what did I set it at? Three. Uh, I set it at three hundred, just because of the number we talked about earlier. Realistically, if I go over under three fifty for Corral, yeah. Oh, oh, over. I, I think it's close to four. Oh, did we do that? Okay, I, I lose track. Uh, I think four forty, four fifty is what he's at. I set it at three hundred. It was the first one we did. I went way over on that, but I was testing you to see if three fifty. I think he probably gets in the four hundreds, but people like. People, you know, Corral was the first 500-yard passer in whatever school history, and he did that against South Carolina. And Shea Patterson went for 48-88 against UT Martin. Like, 
it, no matter how dynamic your offense is, it's hard to throw for 400 yards. I'm not saying he won't do it. I, I kind of tend to agree cautiously, but like, you know, I feel like with all this day and age of passing, like running, I mean, passing yards have become kind of chump change, but 350 is a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, I just, I think there's going to be situations where uh, Mississippi State sells out and, and is able to stop Ole Miss's run game where Ole Miss is going to have to throw the Dickens out of it. Fair enough. That was all the over-unders I had. That's about all the time we have. We've gone an hour and 10 let's, minutes. Uh, hold, hold on, Rip. We got to, let's get you an egg bowl projection. What are you, what are you taking? I will say Ole Miss wins the egg bowl 42 to 24. 42. I'm going to, I'm going to give each team another touchdown and go 49, 31, but we have like pretty much the uh, same idea. Line's been 12, 13. Ole Miss scores late to get it to like 18, 19, whatever. I think that's how Ole Miss wins the game. Ole Miss has been in some interesting cover situations. If you think about it, um, the Florida game, right? You're at the goal line. You got a chance to cover there. Um, and then you've got, uh, you got South Carolina where South Carolina gets in there and they cover. They've, they've had, they've had some interesting cover situations at the end of games. Yeah, they really have. And they've done pretty well for the most part. Have they not? I mean, South Carolina cover, they kind of pulled out of their arse. Yeah. Um, I don't know what they are against the spread, but I would figure it's pretty, I mean, they covered against Alabama, Vanderbilt, South Carolina. Um, I don't know. I mean, so they've been fine against the spread. They covered against Kentucky, right? They're like a six. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Um, didn't cover against Auburn, Arkansas, or uh, Florida. Uh, Auburn, they they really pissed that away. There, with four minutes to go in the game, Ole Miss was almost a lock to cover. Yes, yes, they were locked to win the game and somehow didn't cover. Very true. So yeah. Anyway, well, that's our bit. Our official Egg Bowl predictions, dude. I appreciate time. This has been fun. You and I will be back at it uh, Sunday, probably. Yes, Sunday. Saturday night, probably Sunday with our usual post-game pod. Greg and I will have fresh cuts on Friday. Um, have a happy Thanksgiving, dude. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Everybody, if you like what you heard today, like and or like. Uh, God, I can't talk today. Rate us five stars. You can say whatever you want in the comment section. Some of you have taken the liberty to do that. Also, we appreciate you listening. Everybody have a safe and happy Thanksgiving, and we will see you Friday for Fresh Cuts and then Colin and I Saturday after the game. Take it easy, dude. Yes, sir. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.